Welcome to the H&E Podcast, where we seek to celebrate the steadfast love and faithfulness of Christ through discussions on church history, biblical spirituality, the Bible, Christian living, and theology. Shall we get started? On today's episode, I have with me uh, the Jeremy Johnston. Jeremy is the author of All Things New, Essays on Christianity, Culture, and the Arts. Uh, that is published by Joshua Press, which is an imprint of H&E Publishing. Jeremy, thank you for being here. Thanks, Chance, for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us some more about yourself? So I've been... Um a teacher for close to 20 years. Uh, I teach uh, in the high school panel, uh, English and classical studies. Um, I also uh, teach, I'm a professor at a, at a community college here in Hamilton. Uh, I've been doing that the last few years. Um, and uh, I write. Uh, I've been a arts columnist for um, over 10 years sort of a national uh, magazine called Barnabas. Uh, we publish it with the Sovereign Grace Fellowship Canada. Uh, so I write a column there uh, that deals primarily with with the topic of arts. And in fact, um, it's the collection of, of those columns that, um, that I brought together and, and uh, uh, made into the book uh, that you have there, All Things New. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I've, I've, got, a, I've got a wife and I have um, four lovely children who are... Uh, very different and gifted in their own ways. And a couple of my, my kids are particularly artistic. So uh, the, the arts is a near and dear topic for me. So I'm glad to be talking about it. I, I love to write about it. Uh, so again, thanks for, for having me and uh, to talk to me about this topic. No, that's great. Can you uh, maybe, uh, for those of the listeners who aren't familiar with the book, tell us a little more about the actual book? As I mentioned, um, it's it's a collection of little essays. The essays are about uh, 550 words long, so they're very short, and they cover uh, a range of topics. I begin by talking about um, art and creativity in general. So what does the Bible have to say about art? What does the Bible have to say about creativity? Does God care about beauty? Does God care about the arts and the different ways in which uh, art can manifest itself? So um, I don't just talk about uh, paintings or visual art, for example. I talk about the literary arts, poetry and and uh, novels and stories. Uh, I talk about music. Uh, I talk about film. I talk about food. Um, all these things are sort of under the umbrella of the arts. I also talk about or write a number of articles on the artist's call. What, what does it mean to be an artist? Not everyone has uh, uh, an incredible artistic ability, but um, some do, some are exceptional. And what I noticed growing up in the church um, and looking around me uh, where I see talented people, artists in particular, um, there isn't really a place for them, at least in modern evangelical churches. Um, they've been pushed to the fringe, really, uh, of church life. And, and I thought that that can't be right. Somehow, um, you know, I look around, I see the world, I see this beautiful world that God's created. I see a God who, who loves beauty. Every time I look at a sunset, every time I look at a, uh, you know, uh, a flower garden, every time I see a forest, a mountain, um, every time I see, uh, you know, a beautiful baby sleeping, I, I'm 
I'm impressed by the fact that that God created this, that God is the grand artist, the, the great artist. Um, and so since we are created in his image, um, there has to be a role for artists within the church. So the book goes on. I, I talk about, as I mentioned, literature um, as well. I talk about music um, and cinema. Not only how to how to view films and appreciate films, but um, I even make a case for movie making. Um, if you have the means and ability and talent uh, and the and the the actual financial resources to to put on a a film, um, there's a good case for for using film. Um, and then lastly, that the sort of final section of the book is a is a bit of a hodgepodge. Uh, where I just collect a variety of articles uh, that are dealing with the arts, but it didn't really fit in any of the other categories. Um, so I talk about evolution and Darwinism in art, and I talk about uh, the, the big question of nudity in art. Um, I talk about um, you know the challenges of bridging old and new traditions. I think part of the reason why uh, the evangelical church has been there's a number of reasons, but 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 part of the reason why the evangelical church has been reluctant to embrace the arts, um, other than by the way, in terms of music and hymnody, they, they that's sort of always been part of the the tradition. So they haven't jettisoned that kind of art, but other kinds of art, a little bit skeptical about. It, and and part of it is um, art tends to operate in the realm of new. And Christians were by nature conservative, were by nature skeptical of new ideas. And I think we, you know, I, I think we put the brakes on. I think we're, we're just not sure how to handle art, uh, what to do with it. We just can't, um, we can't, we can't wrap our head around it easily. So um, I talk about that as well. And, you know, uh, along those lines, I, I encourage the artist, because uh, I feel it's the artist's responsibility to, to help ease the the church and the audience in uh, on the art that they're creating art because it's new because it's different because it's unusual it's fresh uh it's going to be shocking to some people and so you need to be be careful and cautious and sensitive about how you how you introduce a church or an, any kind of audience really uh, to, to the art uh, that you've created uh, so that's essentially what the book is about and there's a whole host of subtopics uh, it is designed to be a primer, an introduction to the topic of the arts. Uh, I felt that, um, again, I am uh, evangelical. I'm also Baptistic. Um, as a Baptist, I found that not many Baptists are writing on this subject of the arts. Uh, it tends to be the realm of our Presbyterian brothers and uh, Anglicans and, and so on, who seem to be better versed and uh more experienced with using the arts, whether using the arts within the church in terms of worship or or some kind of edification or exhortation, but just arts in general, just appreciating the arts. Um, so I felt I needed to write uh, to an audience that um, was unfamiliar with the arts, that perhaps was a bit skeptical about the arts. And so that's helpful too, that if you're, if you're new to this realm, if you haven't really thought biblically about the arts, uh, this is a great book for you. Uh, because it just it just uh, introduces you to a range of topics and concerns, gets you thinking about the issue. And at the very end of the book, I provide additional resources um, to read. So if you want to go deeper on any of these topics, um, I provide sort of a vetted list uh, of of texts that you can read to dive deep. Oh, that's very good. No, that's really interesting. As a fellow Baptist, I would agree with you that we do 
tend to uh, have uh, a poor view and appreciation for the uh, arts and beauty. Why, why do you think that is? I think human beings are prone to extremes. And, um, and I think we sometimes take a good thing and we take it too far. Um, so can the arts go too far? Yes, uh, particularly in the church. Uh, I mean, that was a big piece of the Reformation. And there was a lot of um, idol worship related to, to, to the arts. Um, and so I think, you know, during, during the Reformation, we saw a lot of art destroyed, stained glass windows and so on. Uh, statuary, that that sort of thing w- was was demolished, um, and I think perhaps you know we don't want to go so far that we we turn art into something that we we worship or we idolize, um, or that it becomes a distraction to worship, or it becomes a crutch, um, sort of an emotional crutch. And so we kind of went the other way um, in that pendulum swing. We swung all the way the other way to um, this sort of Spartan. Um, aesthetic where where there there is nothing where we, we almost feel that um, by removing um, art from our presence, we're somehow making things more spiritual that it's, um, you know, to, to be, to live devoid of beauty or good things, or even of music and literature. I mean, there was a time you, you roll back the clock, particularly in the United States uh, in the fifties and sixties, uh, you have some some fundamentalist Baptist churches uh, were very extreme. I mean, beyond their their theological issues there, but you know they wouldn't have a novel in their household. They they wouldn't have a, a painting of any kind, uh, and so on. They wouldn't have music. But I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that in the Bible at all. And we can talk about that in a sec. But but again, again, as Baptists, even today, I think we're beyond that sort of extremism. Um, but I think we're still so. Uh, in tune with the word. I think we're people of the word. You know, some of the best preachers, uh, this is my opinion, but I think some of the best preachers out there are Baptists. Um, You think of some of the big names that are well-known, people like, um, you know, John Piper, uh, or um, uh, Spurgeon, of course, and and there are others um, who are just profound preachers of the word. Uh, although the you know the funny thing is when I, I mentioned Charles Spurgeon, um, I mean he was a guy who seemed to appreciate the arts. Uh, he certainly peppered his sermons with all sorts of poetic imagery, uh, references to uh, stories and Aesop's fables and um, you know, Greek mythology and and um, and John Piper, I, I mentioned him as well as a Baptist preacher. I mean he's uh, writing poetry right now. So, <laughs> so, um, it, it seems like, um, maybe the pendulum swing is, is coming back towards, towards a balance, but I, I think it's taking a good thing. I mean, I think we, we are people of the word and the word is paramount. Um, you know, it's the most important part of the Christian service, the Christian worship service, and certainly the, the devotional experience is the word. But, uh, the, the reality is that w- a congregation isn't just made up of ears attached to brains sitting in the pew. That would be grotesque <laughs> to see that, right? It's we are we have eyes, we have we have bodies, and art speaks to those other parts of our human experience. The full incarnated human being, you know, with 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 hearts uh, as well as minds, and. Um, and if you challenge, I mean, even if you challenge the most ardent anti-art person, um, 
you know, if I were to sort of challenge them, I would say, okay, what's your favorite hymn? And, and they might say something like, it is well with my soul. And, uh, or some, you know, deeply stirring or, and can it be these beautiful, deeply stirring hymns, but they're, they're rich, not only theologically, because there's, there's all sorts of beautiful, rich uh, hymns, theologically rich hymns that we don't sing. And why don't we sing those? Why don't we love them? It's not just the theology, not just the doctrine in the hymns. It's the way in which the hymn is written. So the poetry of the lyrics, and then it's also the music. You cannot separate the profound beauty of some of these hymns, the the tunes and music uh, from the beautiful lyrics, and then combined with beautiful content, and you have this powerful experience. So that's that's my take anyways. I have some other ideas, but uh, but we can move on. Can you give a sort of a brief uh, sort of overview or summary of some things in scripture that talk about beauty or art and why why Christians should actually care? Sure. I mean, um, I mentioned earlier about just creation itself declares that God is interested in art, in beautiful things, at least at least art. If you look at the universe as a giant canvas, that's precisely what it is. And some would argue that art is entirely useless. And, you know, famous, uh, you know, Oscar Wilde, the Victorian playwright, famously said uh, that very thing. He said, art is useless. Um, and there's truth to that. There is no there is no practical function uh, for, for for much of art, although there is functional art out there, and you can make functional things attractive. That's certainly there as well. But a lot of art just simply hangs on a wall, or it's it's a poem that says things in a in a complex and slightly enigmatic way, and then we're wondering, you know, why couldn't you just say what you're trying to say more clearly? So there's something not very practical about art. And, and then I, I was thinking about the universe itself. We know that God is uh, completely independent. The, the, the aseity of God is the theological term for that. He doesn't depend on anything. So then why did he create this entire universe, this cosmos, this beautiful world? Uh, why did he create us? And it's purely for the the his enjoyment his delight and so when you start looking at the character of god you look at creation so so i feel like you know the mandate to create the mandate to be artistic uh, is laid out for us in the very beginning in genesis the fact that god identifies himself as a creator as an artist the fact that he he creates with the with the word he he speaks light into existence um, to me uh, uh, powerfully underscores the value of the written word uh, and the spoken word. Um, why singing is a big part of the Christian worship experience because we're singing words. We're we're creating uh, beauty. We're we're creating an experience. And um, I love. Uh, so I'm kind of jumping around here a bit, but I but I love C.S. Lewis's The Magician's Nephew, where uh, creation is described, and Aslan is is creating the world, Narnia, and they're there. the The kids are there, Niggory, and and others are are there at creation of Narnia, and Aslan is singing, singing the world into being, and I I just that vision of of god uh singing of christ singing the universe into being um i wouldn't i wouldn't feel that would be too far-fetched um but whatever the case is 
this creation idea begins this creator uh, since we're made in the image of god uh, we have those attributes and there's all sorts of powerful and important attributes that are shared with human beings right the communicable attributes of god but one of them is his creative nature and you know one of the first things that god does with adam is he says, you know, come out here to the forest, you know, or, or to, into the garden here, and I'm going to bring all these animals to you. And let's see, God says, let's see what Adam is going to call these things. And and so, so sort of God passed the baton onto Adam and said, okay, create, you know, come up with names for all these creatures. You know, obviously God knows what Adam was going to say, but he allowed Adam to create. He allowed Adam to, to create the words for these particular creatures. And um, to me, that that passing on this sort of be, becoming a co-laborer with God. And uh, I think it's Timothy Keller uh, in his excellent book, Every Good Endeavor, where he talks about, you know, sort of a theology of work. It's an excellent book. Um, he talks about this creation mandate that what Adam was called to do was to create culture, to create things, to to uh, that's part of the dominion mandate. It's not just simply to rule over things, but to actually add to the world. And, um, you, you know, the fact that uh, we, we often envision the Garden of Eden as a wilderness, I've often seen it portrayed as a jungle. But really, it's it's a garden. <laughs> it's it's a garden. That's what the Bible says, which means that it needs to be tended, it needs to be worked, it needs to be cared for, it needs to be cultivated. Uh, and so that cultivation, that that creation process, that working at it, uh, making the world better, is is indeed what we were made to do. And you know, I I, I write and I talk primarily about the arts and the creative elements, but. This creativity applies to all sorts of things. I mean, we're using right now this particular software to, to record this 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 conversation. I mean, someone's created that. You know, computers and microphones and uh, you know satellites in space that are pinging information back and forth. Um, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity. You know, makes these things possible. I mean, all that shows that human beings have been created as as creators. And we're the only ones. I know there's there's some debate, but most most scholars and biologists will, will agree that um, the only artists on the planet uh, are human beings. You know, no other creature makes art. Um, every once in a while, we we get a robin's nest and we take it, we bring it into the kid's tree fort, and the next year we get another one and we bring that one. And it's identical. Um, they're not really creating. They're they're just building as they've been designed by God to build. But we create. You know, our houses, our homes, um, you know, an igloo versus, uh, you know, a mud hut versus, you know, a mansion. This is human beings. We are creative beings and we create an environment for ourselves. The, you know, the famous um, scholar, writer, the 20th century, G.K. Chesterton, he says that art is the signature of man. Uh, he clearly identifies uh, art as the key blueprint, the the key fingerprint. Sorry, uh, of of human beings. Uh, it's the it's the one thing that makes us different than anything else on the planet. And of course, why? As Christians, we know because we've been made in the image of God. Uh, so, as a Christian, as a human being made by a creative God, um, there there is a mandate uh, to be creative. I mean, I don't want to 
to, to go on, but I was going to, if I could mention one more thing here about Bezalel and Oholiab. These guys are artists in Exodus. I think it's Exodus 31. These guys are called by God to build the furniture for the tabernacle. So just to contextualize this, you know, the Israelites have been um, in, in slavery and in bondage in Egypt and uh, for 400 years. And Moses has been called. You've got the, you know, the plagues, you've got the Passover and they're they're on their way out. And the miraculous separating the Red Sea and the Israelites are on their way. And, um, you know, God tells Moses to build this tabernacle, the place where God was going to meet and worship, um, or the people could, could meet with God and worship God, uh, as well as do the the sacrifice. And um, God called Bezalel, one of these artists. Um, and the Bible talks, Exodus 31 talks so beautifully about how unique and valuable and skilled Bezalel was, as well as Oholiab. And it's the first time in the scriptures when someone is is identified as receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, now, obviously, Bezalel has a, has a key, uh, a very unique role. He's building the furniture for the tabernacle. But it just shows, again, how how important the arts are to God. You know, later on, when you get to David, I mean, a choice example of a of a guy who who loves the arts. I mean, David was a dancer. David was a poet. David was a musician. Uh, David w- was an architect. Uh, David built this beautiful palace. David desperately wanted to build the temple for God. So here, here's a guy who's uniquely called, uniquely gifted, and loved by God. And of course, you know, the product of, we don't have David's music, but we have his poetry in the Psalms. And I, you'd be, I would challenge you to find a single Christian who doesn't turn to the Psalms in times of difficulty or times of joy or at any time of their life and find delight there. And it's poetry. It's funny. It's the most popular, uh, uh, if I could you know, say that, there's a popular part of the Bible. It's all, all beautiful and rich in its own way, but particularly people are drawn to the book of Psalms. And I think it's more than just the content. Uh, what the message says. That's crucial. It's inspired. That's all very important. But it's the way these uh, ideas are told, the fact that it's poetry, uh, it speaks to us at a deeper level. So that's that's the tip of the iceberg here, but that's that's the uh, that's my mini case <laughs> for why why God is interested in beauty and the arts. That's excellent, brother. Uh, one thing I found really helpful was in your preface, you you talk about, the tendency that that Christians have to divide the secular and, and the sacred, and you you put that sort of under the, mm-hmm. the the lordship of of Christ over all things. Can you talk more about that? You know, we we do have a tendency to um, to divide up the world, and this is an idea that I um, I must give credit where credit is due. In fact, a lot of my ideas are lifted from from wiser and uh, um, more sagacious saints <laughs> or whatever. Um, but this idea I got from Francis Schaeffer, who really emphasized this idea that all things are under the Lordship of God, that Christianity, he says this, uh, I think it's an art in the Bible. He says, if Christianity is really true, then it involves the whole man, including his intellect and his creativeness or his creativity. I mean, this is this is the key, the, the key idea. But we, we do have this tendency. We, we want to 
Uh, we want to separate things out. And again, I mentioned earlier that we almost feel like we're more spiritual when we ignore the the emotional part. And we want to be able to control and understand what's going on. And and sometimes art isn't easily understood. You know, I gave the example earlier of a poem that that's that's sort of enigmatic and it's hard to sort of wrap your head around. And so we get we get uh, we get skeptical about that. Um, but it, but in truth, you know, there isn't sort of you know church business. So Sunday school, sermons, evangelism, church music. Uh, that's that's the the spiritual side of life, and then you've got kind of this everything else aspect. Um, there's just simply life. Uh, we all live quorum Deo. It's a Latin phrase for before the face of God. And you know whatever we're doing, we need to glorify God. And we also need to recognize that um, we can enjoy the things that God has given it, given us, and enjoy what others have created. So, um, you know, this sort of to say that, oh, well, there's there's certain areas of of the uh, of the human experience that we should just have nothing to do with. It, it boggles the mind a little bit. You know, why did God make us with the ability to create uh, if he didn't want us to use those those skills, those abilities? To me, it boils down to stewardship. You know, are we using effectively and well, not only the the uh, the gospel itself and the word of God, are we handling that well, um, but are we handling how God has made us and how God has made the body of Christ? Again, not all of us are artistic. Not all of us are extremely you know gifted. I, I do think we all have a, a an impulse to create. Um but uh, but you, you know what I mean. There there are certain people who are exceptionally gifted in these certain areas, um, and they should be encouraged and allowed um, and used to use their gifts for the glory of God. That's how God's made them. I, I think I think part of the challenge is, particularly for Christian artists. Christian artists might say, "Oh, look, do I only have to? Can I only make art on Christian topics?" And if I don't make an, uh, a painting of crosses or I don't make a, a poem about the empty tomb, um, then I'm then I'm somehow going against how, how what God is calling me to do, um, which is crazy. It's craziness. It'd be like saying to, you know, a tailor, a suit maker that, you know, you can only make suits for Sunday. Um, you, you can't make, you know, a pair of jeans for someone to wear on a Saturday afternoon or a carpenter saying, look, you, you can only build doors for churches. You can't build doors for houses, everyday use. Um, no one would say, though, yeah, those are areas of creativity, you know, fashion, tax, you know, textiles, um, carpentry, making doors and so on. So we, we have we have all sorts of areas of our life that aren't really spiritual. But yet we look at art and we feel like um, it's somehow different or it needs to be spiritualized. When in fact, the Lordship of Christ, as I as you mentioned and as is clear in, in in my in my book, is covers all these areas. God wants it all. He wants us all to submit all these areas and to uh, to live in glory of Him. Um, again, when, when we when we use our gifts well, we can't help but bring glory to to the One who made us the way He has. Uh, so we should strive for that kind of excellence. Um, if you are a painter, uh, you should paint extremely well. And because, I, I, I mean, you're honing those skills, you're practicing those skills, you're developing those skills, but they come from God. 
you're a musician, you're a poet, you're a photographer, you're a filmmaker, you're you're a hairdresser. I mean, all these different things are so valuable. And when you do them exceptionally well, you bring glory to the one who made who made you as you are. Yeah, that's I think that's a really helpful point is is uh, we tend to just think as as art as something that we do uh, that goes on the wall or something that you put out. But what you're arguing for is that probably in all of our work, we are creating and uh, we need to do that with excellence and beauty. And that's really helpful. Mm -hmm. How many carpenters or engineers would consider themselves to be an artist? Yeah, exactly. And and yet they, they are creating uh, in, a, in a different way. And and again, I, I think there's a spectrum. I think, I think um, you know, there are very artsy people. And, uh, um, but even just, I mean, I'm going to speak in very generalized terms here, but, you know, typically you think on one side, you've got your very artsy, bohemian, sort of completely organic individual on the one side. And then on the other extreme, you have sort of your sciencey or mathy person. But, you know, sometimes when you, when you get a, I've got a colleague of mine who's a brilliant um, physicist and, you know, when she gets talking about, you know, the universe from a, from the perspective of physics, uh, it's, it's eloquent. It's beautiful. When you see uh, a math person talking about patterns uh, in numbers and even shapes and, and um, geometry and so on, uh, there is a beauty and a, and a, a a wonder, even in a mystery, in the way they're talking, and and so it's there. I think um, I think we all we all have this impulse to be creative in one way, shape, or form, and to to make things, to to add to the world around us, um, to um, to take on that that mandate uh, that God has given has given us at the very beginning uh, to cultivate to add to the world to create things uh whether it's a you know you know a bridge you know it is a work of art it's a wonder it's a structure yes there's engineering elements and principles in place um but it's also you know it adds to the world it's a beautiful thing it can be beautiful it can also be ugly I mean, there's lots of ugly art out there not every art is good art not every art is beautiful um and that's part of of us training ourselves to recognize what true beauty looks like um, and what is ugly and what is unpleasant, what is not, um, you know, you, you have to sort of train your tastes as it were, you know, when you get, um, I mean, everyone likes sugar at first or Kool-Aid or Jello, but you know, when you get into more complex flavors like aged cheese or olives, you have to train your taste. But once you once you do, once you understand what true flavor is like, once you're able to, to sort of um, uh, get yourself open, open your mind and your in your palate uh, and your eyes and your ears to be able to see and hear and taste and whatever you're partaking of, you know, there's 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 a richness there. And that's part of what I'm encouraging people to do. You know, in my book, I, I encourage artists to be artistic and to to work at their skills, but I also encourage Christians to be an audience. Art art always needs an audience. Uh, there always has to be 
someone to receive, someone to look at the painting, someone to to gaze at the sculpture, someone to to read the poetry, someone to watch the film or look at the pictures, you know, or listen to the music um, or taste the food. There has to be an audience. So my book also is designed to encourage people. Most people in the church are, need to be encouraged to be an audience, to be receivers, uh, what I call appreciators uh, of, of culture and appreciators of art. So you've got your culture makers, but also your culture appreciators. And together, um, both Christian appreciators and Christian makers, uh, they help to redeem the arts, uh, which is in desperate need of, of redemption. I mean, you go to an art gallery and and there's some remarkable works of art there. And then you turn the corner and there's, you know, horrifically offensive artwork, um, you know, pornographic artwork or, or so on that's, that crosses the line into gratuitousness. Um, and, you know, it's difficult to take your family to an art gallery unless you've previewed it ahead of time. And, and even then, you, you don't want to expose yourself to some of these things. So it, it is a difficult world and, and we need to ensure that we are um, we are training up Christians, Christian artists, to, to go into that world and uh, make a different kind of art, an art that's beautiful, an art that calls people to mind uh, of the beautiful one. And that is, of course, God himself. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's good. I want to just go back on something you said. You, so, not all, so not all Christians are called to be an artist in the same way. But we're all called to uh, do things beautifully and do things to the glory of God and do things with excellence. As a G.K. Chesterton said that anything that's worth doing is worth doing poorly. I think that was him. So what you're saying is not that we won't be poor at things, but we don't want to stay poor at things. We want to, in the, for the glory of God, for the love of other people, we want to hone our skills and... Uh, you know, the next time we may make that meatloaf or the next time that we uh, you know, put in that spark plug or, or whatever it is, we want to uh, be constantly improving for the glory of God under the Lordship of Christ. You're absolutely right. You know, it's there's something beautiful with making something excellent for an audience. Uh, so when my wife makes a beautiful meatloaf, that's, that's, you know, juicy and, and full of beautiful flavor and it's, it's solid and I won't go on and on. I'm starting to get hungry here. She's doing that in part because it's her way of serving, serving her husband and her family. It's a way of showing love to others. And, um, that's tied into excellence. You know, why we do things excellently, particularly when we're serving others is because we want to show love for others. We want to be excellent in loving. Uh, you know, when Jesus says, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and the second commandment is to love your neighbor, um, this sort of command to show love, is it loving to to give your family mediocre meatloaf, or at least not try to become better? Not that everything you do is going to be perfect, right? Not everyone's um, equally gifted in all these areas. Some people are more, they're more capable in certain areas. But, um, you know, so there is a challenge that uh, if you're going to truly love people, you should do excellence. And that's, and there's other aspects too. I mean, in terms of doing your job well, um, if you've been hired to do something, no matter how menial or uh, seemingly unimportant it is. Um, someone's paying you to do this job and they expect you to do it well. No one expects you to do a mediocre job. So why, you know, Christians in particular, because we're 
we're not just working for the eyes of men or for praise of people, uh, but we're working again, Coram Deo, you know, our father is watching us at all times. And, uh, and so we want to do well for him. We want to, we want God to delight in, in, in our, uh, in our efforts to do things well. Um, you know, I mean, as a parent, there's nothing more touching and, and beautiful than to see your kids uh, striving to do something well. Even if they're struggling, even though it's difficult, maybe they don't have the hand-eye coordination yet, but it, it's a beautiful thing. But what 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 angers a parent or what uh, causes a parent to to scold or discipline their, their child is when the child just doesn't try at all. So we know this as parents, that mediocre effort uh, isn't good. And so why would we be mediocre in our adult lives, in our adult situations? That's so helpful, brother. Yeah, it's so good. I think we, uh, it's challenging to myself, but uh, we must not be discouraged in thinking that we must be perfect at everything. We must not try to be perfectionist, but we, we do need to seek, you know, to honor the Lord in, in every millisecond and every, everything that he has called us to steward. Right. And that's, and that's a great, I'm glad you raised that issue about, um, cause it can seem like a heavy burden and I don't want to, I don't want to slip into perfectionism, uh, because that's not helpful. Um, and that's really rooted in, in pride. It's, you want to do things perfectly so that you've done things perfectly. And it's really for your own, um, gratification, uh, that you, you, you do this. Um, it's really, as you mentioned about stewardship, it's what has God specifically put on your plate? Those are the things that you need to be excellent at. And uh, the, the challenge is we tend to put other things on our plate or overfill our plate. So God has given us some some things that to us may seem too humble or too menial. We're not going to work hard on those things. I'd rather reach beyond my plate and grab something else that God hasn't placed there. So that's part of the challenge to this pursuit of excellence um, is to, it's good to aspire and good to desire certain things. You know, right now, for example, uh, I'm writing poetry um, and uh, it's something that I'm, I'm aspiring towards. I'm, I'm reaching to, to become a better poet as well as obviously a writer of prose, you know, so it's good to aspire, but I also need to make sure that I'm not neglecting the very things that God's called me to now um, to do those other things. So that's one issue is if we overstuff our plate. The other thing is to try to do things that we clearly aren't called to do, that we're not gifted to do. You know, if you're tone deaf, then you shouldn't try to learn how to play the trumpet. It's just a matter of also taking stock of how God has specifically made you. And so you've got to come to terms with, you know, the temptation towards envy, the temptation towards looking at other people and saying, gee, I wish I had those gifts. Instead of saying, no, no, I'm part of the body of Jesus Christ. And the, if I could just talk a moment about this, this beautiful vision of collaboration, I think this is a real piece to this. Um, we're not all called to be eyeballs. We're not all called to be brains. We're not all called to be mouths or ears or arms or legs or toes. It's all these pieces coming together. And I'm grateful for my toes. Uh, I'm also grateful for my eyes and my ears and my brain, but I'm glad that I've got I've got, you know, a whole bunch of all of those things that I don't just have a bunch of brains. I don't have a bunch of toes that it's all beautifully balanced. And that's part of being excellent as well. I want my toes to be excellent. I want my ears to be excellent. 
but they're excellent in the way that God has designed them to be excellent. Um, so that's a key piece to this is, um, you know, when you're thinking about what God has called you to do, whether you are uh, particularly pursuing the arts or whatever the case is, or whatever area you're called to do, what has God placed in your on your particular plate and how has he wired you and made you to be? And uh, you have to avoid those pitfalls of of trying to be perfectionist, which is really about pride and about trying to do things on on your own. That's the other piece. Uh, when I mentioned about collaboration, excellence um, isn't a solo act. God hasn't called you to go off and be excellent on your own. Um, again, there is a collaboration and uh, at different forms. And even as I mentioned earlier about the artist needing an audience. Sometimes just having someone who appreciates the work that you do is, in fact, what you need, is the ministry. And being an excellent appreciator, excellent encourager, that is also needed. And I should add, too, that, you know, excellence, it isn't easy. <laughs> you know, if it were easy, it wouldn't be excellent. And, and I think that there's... Um, you know, so if you're going to pursue, you can't pursue everything excellently all the time in every way uh, because it's just too demanding. But again, those particular areas where you're gifted and wired, those particular areas that God's placed on your particular plate or giving you desire and an aptitude for um, those things you should for the glory of God and for the betterment of the people you're serving and to be like Jesus, who was excellent in every way. Uh, you know, strive, strive to do things well, strive to do things well for his glory. Um, and you're saying, mm. thank you, Lord, for giving me these opportunities and gifts. Yeah, amen, brother. Uh, so what are some challenges faced by people when we're trying to uh, appreciate art or how can we best enjoy and understand it? For many of us, this might be a new thing. How, how am I to be an appreciator of art? Where do I even begin? To start exposing yourself to and allowing yourself to experience art, um, whatever form it is. So when you're eating, you know, a meal tomorrow night, uh, or having a, a sandwich, you know, for lunch tomorrow, um, don't just think about it as I need to fuel up my body. You know, you're not just sticking a, a gas pump into your into your belly and and fill her up and then stick your credit card and walk away. You know, food is designed to be enjoyable. Uh, it's designed to be good. It's designed to be experienced. And so slow down uh, is a big piece to to experiencing art. We live in a fast paced culture. You know, everything's fast, fast food. You know, Amazon's fast. You got Amazon five, you know, prime, you can have things delivered in one day. Fast, fast, fast. You can get somewhere quickly in your car, etc. Uh, but slow down. To me, that's the that's the universal for appreciating art is start enjoying thinking about and saying, you know, Lord, uh, I'm going to stick with the food analogies since I started with it, but you know, Lord, thank you, Lord, for designing taste buds, um, so that my tongue can actually experience the taste, the saltiness, the, the sweetness, the, uh, the savory, whatever I'm enjoying. And, you know, thank you, Lord, that you made uh, food uh, that's not only that's not only good for me, so it's nutritious, it's fuel for my body, it's what I need, but it's it's satisfying. That there's a pleasantness to eating, and thank God for the one who's made it. That you 
enabled, you know, whoever made your, your lunch, whether it's you as a, you know, you made your own sandwich or whether it's your, your daughter or your, your son or your, your spouse or someone else. So, so that's, that's to me, the biggest part is slow down and make yourself aware what you're experiencing. And so I would add that to music. You know, we tend to hear a lot of background music. It's always playing. It's in the background of our television shows and movies and the background of podcasts and commercials. Uh, But to actually slow down and listen to the music, listen to the lyrics. Um, You know, I'm a big fan of poetry. Uh, I read poetry. I've been reading poetry for years. I teach poetry uh, and I write poetry now. Poetry takes time. Oftentimes, you can't just read it in one sitting. You do have to come back to it. You do have to ruminate on it and reflect on it. And And we live in a day and age where we barely read the headlines once in the news, much less read the full article, much less read it twice. So slowing down and reading a poem again, uh, letting it sink in, look at the words, look at the language, appreciate the craftsmanship. Yeah. So that's the, to me, the biggest thing, how to become a, an appreciator of art, slow down and start taking in what you're experiencing. That's great, brother. This has been a really helpful discussion and uh, I'm looking forward to, to meeting in person and talking about it some more. Let's uh, let's just change, uh, change it up a little bit. I want to talk with you uh, bring this to a conclusion uh, about a few things. So one, I want to know what you are, re- what are you reading these days? What's on your bookshelf? What, what have you been taking in? Okay. So, um, two things. Um, I'm kind of one of those reading gluttons where I, um, I read a bunch of books at the same time, which I shouldn't do, but I'm going to tell you about, t- uh, two books I'm reading right now. I'm reading a book called the temple, by an uh, an Anglican priest and poet called George Herbert. So he's uh, he's writing in the 1600s, um, uh, 1700s, and this book is a collection of poems um, about about um, they're they're basically devotional poems. So I've actually been reading this book of poetry as part of my morning devotion. So you know I've got my time with the Word, my time of of prayer and reflection. Um, and then I read these poems. Um, and it's funny, C.S. Lewis uh, got me on to George Herbert. Um, he considered The Temple to be among his top 10 books, the most influential books that shaped his worldview, shaped his philosophy, shaped his, his, uh, um, his artistic mind. Um, and he would often, in his personal letters, Lewis wrote you know, hundreds, thousands of letters to people, his fans who wrote to him over the years. And Lewis would often uh, write and say, look, if you're looking for a book that's going to help you spiritually, George Herbert's The Temple. Now you have to get a hold of a version that's somewhat contemporized. It's in English, but it's uh, it's it's slightly archaic uh, at times. So the, the version I'm reading is sort of a modernized. They've cleaned up the the typography and so on, but it's it's rich. So, so that's the one book. A book of poetry is what I'm reading. The other one is a classic. Uh, it's Augustine's Confessions. Uh, it's been sitting on my shelf for years. A bucket list book, and I said uh, uh, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to take a look at this. And again, you're talking about poetic prose. Augustine is is absolutely beautiful. 
in his writing and his imagery. Uh, he's it's so rich. Uh, how he describes his his own emotional landscape. He describes his rejection and rebellion against the Lord, and how the Lord you know, has been working in his life. And it's just powerful. It's just rich. So, Augustine's Confessions right now, and Herbert's The Temple. Excellent. And I'll be sure to put those into the show notes if anyone uh, is interested in any of those books. So, Jeremy, what uh, how can what, what projects are you working on right now? Is there anything specific that you've been uh, working away at? I am working on a, a book of, of poetry. It's a collection of poems that's designed to, to cover the full human experience in terms of your spiritual experience. So it's kind of a, a Pilgrim's Progress, uh, but in poems. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress is one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, I've read it multiple times, and I and I love the idea of of a journey. I love the idea of of going somewhere. Uh, that's why my favorite book of all time, besides the Word of God, obviously, is um, The Lord of the Rings by by J.R. Tolkien. I, I, I love that idea of journey. And so the, the poems, it's a collection of primarily sonnets, although there are other forms that I throw in there, where you you, you begin with an unconverted soul. What, what's going through their mind? What's going through their 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 hearts when they're in rebellion against the Lord? And then Christ breaks in. And so there's a series of poems dealing with the the incarnation and the the crucifixion. And then Christ breaks into our life and he calls us to salvation. So there's a series of poems dealing with with the conversion experience. And then that sort of um experience of it's almost the honeymoon stage where you're 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 experiencing the Holy Spirit, you're experiencing the blessings of of knowing God, you're you're delighting in your creator through his word and through his church. Um, and then there's a section where you're dealing with I, I call it autumn grace. This is this sort of you know struggling with sins and challenges, temptations of life. And then the the final section is uh at least towards aging and then death, what what glory is going to be like. So that's that's the series that I'm working on. I've got a number. I want 77 poems, and I'm currently at 65. So it's it's getting there, it's getting there. But there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, poems are short, but every word, every period, comma, every jot and tittle needs to be carefully chosen and arranged. And I got to make sure that what I'm presenting is is beautiful and not just just meaningful. So, yeah, that's great, brother. Earlier, you mentioned that you uh, you mentioned a Narnia book, and that was the magician's nephew. Are there any Narnia books that stand out to you as a favorite? Oh, um, it's for me. It's the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Uh, that's Voyage. my favorite. In the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, who is your favorite character? That, that's a difficult one. I love Reaper Cheap. He's he's the mouse yeah. there, the 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 with the sword. Um, I love his character, um, and I also love Eustace. Uh, it's funny. I just, um, you know, I'm just drawn to, to his his transformation. Uh, he's so annoying. Um, I love his name, Eustace, which sounds like useless. <laughs> You know, and he is useless at the beginning, and then God gets, you know, or Aslan gets a hold of him and and just you know rips off that that, that beautiful image of the of being transformed into a dragon and how he tries to rip off his own scales, and it, it's the lion who has to brutally um, do it, and and it's painful to be transformed. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I and that image of conversion is something that I think is powerful. That we you know we forget that conversion is difficult. It is challenging. There's um, your whole life is turned upside down, and, and so that that picture of the scales being torn off and Eustace becoming redeemed. It's rare to see actually that kind of transformation in children's literature, much less literature in general. Rarely do you see that kind of redemption. And so it's so beautiful and so encouraging. So I'm kind of embarrassed to say Eustace because he's so bad at the beginning, but but he gets very good at the, at the end. So well, One thing I love about Eustace as well, and the way that C.S. Lewis portrays him is uh, even after he's de-dragoned, I think as Doug Wilson mm-hmm. uh, has said, uh, he it says he still kind of falls back into his old self. You know, you have that the view of uh, he's not perfect, and he is uh, you know the pro- process of sanctification and of mortification of sin. And uh, so I love that that because that's that's me, right? <laughs> yeah, that is just you, not not me, but yeah, no, no, it's all of us, right? And that's uh, but that, that's true about all the characters. This is the other thing is that they all sort of stumble and. You know, C.S. Lewis does a great job at at not turning all these characters into cynical antiheroes. You know, the mm-hmm. point of, of the Narnia Chronicles isn't to say that, look, we're all a bunch of losers. There's no hope for us. The point is we're all a bunch of losers, but there is hope. And the hope is not in us. It's in Christ. And that mm. that that just changes the whole tone of Lewis's writing and it just lifts it out of the mire. I think that's why it's so enduringly popular, you know, same with, with Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. It's just, you know, it's, it's considered repeatedly as one of the greatest novels of the 20th century. Um, Despite the fact you've got Hemingway and D.H. Lawrence and um, all these sort of, you know, James Joyce, these people who, who wrote very depressing, very dismal, you know, Sartre and Camus, uh, you know, all these guys who sort of presented this very negative and horrific view of the human experience. There is no hope. And that's supposed to be reality. Those are supposed to be the honest writers. And then they say, you know, Tolkien is writing about dwarves and and elves and so on but it's it's more than that tolkien and lewis that they're both writing from a christian worldview and like i said that although people fail although they they uh they slip into their old ways they make mistakes um they also can be redeemed and that's Mm -hmm. that's the powerful man that's the gospel message that's the good news is that there is hope uh but the hope is in god and christ alone Mm-hmm. Amen, brother. Well, before we let you go here, how can the listeners the listeners follow your work and ministry? What's what's the best way to sort of follow you? Yeah, so um, I have a, a website, which is just www.jeremywjohnston.ca. Um, and uh, there I've got um, I've got sermons and talks that I've done have been uploaded. Uh, I keep a blog um, and I talk and I write about issues like on the arts. I post some of my poetry there. I'm currently working on a series called Monk's Guide, a Monk's Guide to COVID-19. So sort of a looking at um, our self-isolation as a form of modern monasticism. Uh, so just kind of lightheartedly drawing from the 
the monastic world and, and what can we learn from the monks uh, as we hunker down uh, in our houses. Um, so, yeah, so that's a that's a great, a great spot to check me out. Uh, For those listening, if you are interested in uh, Jeremy Johnson's book, All Things New, Essays on Christianity, Cultures and the Arts, you can use promo code ALLTHINGS uh, on the H&E website uh, for a 40% discount. So the, that is all things A-L-L-T-H-I-N-G-S. And so go get yourself that book and, uh, and, and glean from wonderful short little chapters on this uh, helpful topic. Well, Jeremy, it has been a pleasure to hang out and chat with you, and we uh, will hopefully have you back soon. All right, Chance. Thank you as well. What a pleasure it is to talk about these things. Thanks for the opportunity. You take care.